It's great to meet here this morning and it's great to share so many things. To share our friendship, to share this physical space and to share fellowship with each other and with our Lord Jesus. Let's start our service by singing from hymn number 113. O worship the King, all glorious above, and gratefully sing his power and his love. Let's pray together. Lord God, we come to worship this morning. Whether we come in the right frame of mind to worship, whether we come wanting to worship will vary from person to person. But Lord, we come here to worship you and we pray, Lord, that you will help us and come close to us and bring us close to you by being here and by being with each other. Lord, bless us today in ways that we don't expect. Lord, we pray that you will touch our lives and our hearts in ways that we can't imagine. Lord, touch our minds and touch our consciences. Lord, use today, we pray, to make us more like the people that you want us to be. And may we end this day closer to our Maker, Defender, Redeemer and Friend. Bless our service, we pray. Amen. I do believe that Steve has some announcements for us. And they are as follows. Dave and Anna are thankful to our wonderful father after a routine scan this week that their baby is developing well and growing healthily. We pray for the continued growth and health of their baby over the coming months and that Anna will remain healthy throughout her pregnancy and that God will be close to her, Dave and Ben and their growing baby. We also remember Ollie and Hannah and Hermione and their growing baby too. We remember those of our members who struggle daily with their health, especially Marion and Gladys. Hannah Barnes is struggling at the moment with the return of postnatal depression. Ethan's only six weeks old and Imogen is just 17 months and so Hannah has got a handful. We pray that she soon feels well again and that the medication helps. Uh, I think Tony's mum Joan is still in hospital but she's making stable and steady progress. I understand she had an appetite for chocolate eclairs yesterday so that's a good sign. Finally, we remember those people in Japan and Libya whose lives have been changed immeasurably and we pray that all these world events mean the return of Jesus is very near. That's all the announcements for this week, thank you. Lord God, you know infinitely more about the people and the situations that we've just mentioned than we possibly do, but we 
still want to bring them before you to give thanks and to share our concerns and to pray for your intervention. Lord God, we thank you for all the many opportunities that you provide us with. And we know that we often don't make the most of those opportunities and that we take them for granted sometimes. Lord, forgive us, we pray, where we don't make the most of what you give us. And we thank you, Lord, that you do continue to provide. Lord, we think about those people that we've talked about. We thank you for the gift of new life. And we pray for those families who are expecting the birth of new babies. Lord, be with them. Keep them safe and well. And we pray that you will bless their families, that the families will grow richer and closer as new members join. Lord, we pray for for those for whom the birth of a child might lead to to depression and we pray for Hannah that she will pass through this dark period that that she's going through with postnatal depression we thank you for the recovery of Edwin and we pray that you will support the the rest of the family as as they support him Lord be with Zoe Dean we pray and her family as she goes through this very difficult and troubling and worrying time. Lord, be close to each one of them so that they are able to provide the support to Zoe. And we pray that each of them will be very aware of your presence in their family, sharing in their suffering and a part of what's going on. And Lord, we pray for for Joan, Tony's mum, and we pray for Tony too. Please be with them in their suffering. Support Joan, we pray, in her illness and support Tony as he provides support to Joan and to the rest of the family. Lord, we 
are very aware of our own weakness and our own fickleness. And we know that we need to cling to the rock. Be with us, we pray. Through Jesus. We're going to take two readings this morning. The first is from Numbers chapter 9 and it's looking at the story of the Passover and that's going to be read by Sam and then our second reading is from Luke chapter 19 and that's going to be read by Ben. Numbers chapter 9, the Passover. The Lord spoke to Moses in the desert of Sinai in the first month of the second year after they came out of Egypt. He said, Make the Israelites celebrate the Passover at the appointed time. Celebrate it at the appointed time at twilight on the fourteenth day of this month in accordance with all its rules and regulations. So Moses told the Israelites to celebrate the Passover and they did so in the desert of Sinai at twilight on the fourteenth day of the first month. The Israelites did everything just as the Lord commanded Moses. But some of them could not celebrate the Passover on that day because they were ceremonially unclean on account of a dead body. So they came to Moses and Aaron that same day and said to Moses, We have become unclean because of a dead body, but why should we be kept from presenting the Lord's offering with the other Israelites at the appointed time. Moses answered them, Wait until I find, find out what the Lord commands concerning you. Then the Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites, When any of you or your descendants are unclean because of a dead body, or are away on a journey, they may still celebrate the Lord's Passover. They are to celebrate it on the fourteenth day of the second month at twilight. They are to eat the lamb, together with unleavened bread and bitter herbs. They must not leave any of it till morning or break any of its bones. When they celebrate the Passover, they must follow all the regulations. But if a man who is ceremonially unclean and not made journey fails to celebrate the Passover, that person must be cut off from his people because he did not present the Lord's offering at the appointed time. That man will bear the consequences of his sin. An alien living among you who wants to celebrate the Lord's Passover must do so in accordance with its rules and regulations. You must have the same regulations for the alien and the native born. On the day the tabernacle, the tent of the testimony, was set up, the cloud covered it. From evening till morning, the cloud above the tabernacle looked like fire. That is how it continued to be. The cloud covered it, and at night it looked like fire. Whenever the cloud lifted from above the tent, the Israelites set out. Wherever the cloud settled, the Israelites encamped. At the Lord's command, they encamped. As long as the cloud stayed over the tabernacle, they remained in camp. When the cloud remained over the tabernacle a long time, the 
the Israelites obeyed the Lord's order and did not set out. Sometimes the cloud was over the tabernacle only a few days. At the Lord's command they would encamp, and then at his command they would set out. Sometimes the cloud stayed only from evening till morning, and when it lifted in the morning they set out. Whether by day or by night, whenever the cloud lifted, they set out. Whether the cloud stayed over the tabernacle for two days, or a month, or a year, the Israelites would remain in camp and not set out. But when it lifted, they would set out. At the Lord's command, they encamped, and at the Lord's command, they set out. They obeyed the Lord's order in accordance with his command through Moses. Luke chapter 19 Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but being a short man he could not because of the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, It's gone to to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. And if I have cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save what was lost. While they were listening to this, he went on to tell them a parable, because he was near Jerusalem and the people thought that the kingdom of God was going to appear at once. He said, A man of noble birth went to a distant country to have himself appointed king, and then to return. So he called ten of his servants and gave them ten minus. Put this money to work, he said, until I come back. But his subjects hated him and sent a delegation after him to say, we don't want this man to be our king. He was made king, however, and returned home. Then he sent for the servants to whom he had given the money in order to find out what they had gained with it. The first one came and said, Sir, your miner has earned ten more. Well done, my good servant, his master replied, because you have been trustworthy in a very small matter. Take charge of ten cities. The second came back and said, Sir, your miner has earned five more. His master answered, You take charge of five cities. Then another servant came and said, Sir, here is your miner. I've kept it laid away in a piece of cloth. I was afraid of you, because you are a hard man. You take out what you did not put in, and reap what you did not sow. His master replied, I will judge you by your own words, you wicked servant. You knew, did you, that I am a hard man, taking out what I did not put in, and reaping what I did not sow. Why then didn't you put my money on deposit, so that when I came back I could have collected it with interest? Then he said to those standing by, Take his miner away from him and give it to the one who has ten miners. Sir, they said, he already has ten. He replied, I tell you that to everyone who has, more will be given. 
But as for the one who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. But those enemies of mine who did not want me to be king over them, bring them here and kill them in front of me. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage and Bethany, at the hill called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? Tell him, the Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, its owners asked them, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, The Lord needs it. They brought it to Jesus, threw their cloaks on the colt, and put Jesus on it. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it and said, If you, even you, had only known on this day what would bring you peace, but now it is hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground, you and the children within your walls. They will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognise the time of God's coming to you. Then he entered the temple area and began driving out those who were selling. It is written, he said to them, My house will be a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of robbers. Every day he was teaching at the temple, but the chief priests, the teachers of the law and the leaders among the people were trying to kill him. Yet they could not find any way to do it, because all the people hung on his words. Thanks, Ben. Thanks, Sam. The problem I always have with reading these stories in the Bible, particularly the stories in the the run-up to the last week that Jesus spent with his disciples, that that we know how it ends, we know what's coming. And the people who were there didn't. They didn't know how it turned out. They didn't know that this Jesus that they worshipped as a, as a coming saviour, they didn't know that he was going to be crucified and that they would be among the people asking for him to be crucified. They didn't know that 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 Jesus who was crucified would be raised from the dead. And they didn't know that that Jesus that was raised from the dead would ascend to heaven. And where we are now is before the story has completely ended. 
So we're still part of that story and waiting for the conclusion. We're going to sing together from Praise the Lord. We break this bread to share in the body of Christ. Though we are many, we are one body because we all share in one bread. A very little man and a very little man was he. He climbed up into a sycamore tree, his saviour for to see. Now when the saviour walked that way, looked into the tree and said, and said, Zacchaeus, now you come down, for I'm coming to your house for tea. Lovely little um, genteel English finish to that, isn't it? I'm coming to your house for tea. I always imagined that it'd be Beth China and uh, those little French fancy cakes that you used to get from Mr. Kipling. But Jesus came and shared a meal with Zacchaeus. Jesus came to his house. Zacchaeus, this person that everybody hated, and probably his only friends, were the friends he bought with his vast wealth that he had extorted from others and cheated people out of. Zacchaeus wasn't a nice man, but he was a needy man, a man who needed Jesus. And we need Jesus. We need to fellowship with him because none of us can look him in the eye and say I'm as good as you. None of us can stand in our own right and claim that we're okay with God. So that's the reason that Jesus, the night before he was betrayed, shared a meal with his disciples, shared a meal with them, so that they could be regularly reminded of their need for forgiveness and the fact that forgiveness was there for them should they choose to accept it. We're going to break bread and we're going to share wine. the bread symbolising the body of Jesus that is shared that gives strength to those who have faith in him the blood the, the wine representing his blood that was shed 
for us that represents forgiveness. I've asked Ewald if he will offer our thanks for the bread. Our dear loving Father in heaven, we hallow your name and wait silently for your dear Son who will bring us salvation. Thank you for our fellowship. Thank you for the peace you give us. And thank you was his whole hour around your son's table. We do thank you for this bread which represents Jesus' body. Please help each one of us to partake of it in a worthy manner. For Jesus' sake. He took bread, gave thanks, and broke it. And he gave it to them, saying, This is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Heavenly Father, though we are many, and not just many, but so diverse in character and in circumstances yet we are one body because we all share we all share in the bread and we all share in this one cup and it is such a simple act and yet it binds us together in our need and it binds us together in our thanks for your salvation through your Son and our Saviour, the Lord Jesus. And so we come to say, thank you, Lord. Amen. He took the cup. He took the cup saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. Such love, pure as the whitest snow, such love weeps for the shame I know. Oh Jesus, such love. We're going to sing from Praise the Lord number 103. I don't know about you, but I love to listen to stories. I love stories. I love to read stories. I'm not so good at telling stories. But the enjoyment of settling down to read a story is fantastic or to listen to a story I don't mind whether they're true stories in fact part of my job I'm involved in safety and risk assessment and and one of my guilty pleasures is enjoying reading through reports of accidents (laughs) and it sounds a bit morbid 
but actually it's, it's when you get the, the human perspective of some of these accidents that you begin, begin to get a bit of a, an insight into, into what happened and why it happened. So I don't mind whether they're true stories or, or, or made up stories, whether they're realistic or fantastical. Listening to stories is a wonderful experience, but it's not just something that we listen to for enjoyment. Um, but as I say, we can do it for a variety of reasons. I read some of these stories for, for work. I mean, I, again, you wouldn't necessarily call them stories, but that's kind of the way that they, they feel. But we can, we can learn from stories. Uh, uh, we can learn from true stories, and we can learn from fictional stories. Uh, Charles Dickens wrote a lot about the social conditions of his time, and he made a lot of people aware of things that they hadn't been aware of before. They learned uh, about a world that was very close to them, but in many ways a long way away. Reading stories by Gabriel Garcia Marquez tells you about a world that you've never, well, that I've never uh, lived in. It's a bit closer to Juan Pablo's uh, experience than mine. And it's a way of, of getting a little bit of an insight into other cultures, other societies. Jacqueline Wilson tells you about life in difficult domestic and family situations and helps children to work through some of those kind of issues. And certainly all I know about bear hunting has come from the wonderful bear hunt story which those of you who've got uh, or had small children will uh, know and love I'm sure. We can be moved by stories. We can become involved with the characters. We can sympathise with what they go through. We can experience through the characters of the stories emotions that perhaps we wouldn't otherwise have felt. We can be challenged by stories. And we can ask ourselves the questions, if that had been me, how would I have responded? What would I have done? Stories give us a lot of information in a very economical way. They force us to use our imagination to fill the gaps. And they force us to use our intellect to make sense of the facts that there are. We use our emotions to understand. It reminds me a little bit of the way that uh, astronomers discover new planets. They study the, the behaviour of, of stars and look at little wobble look at little wobbles in their in their in their orbits that are caused by these planets which you can't see, but you can see the effect of them on the things which you can see. And many stories are a bit like that. That what you're looking for is the invisible planet that causes the wobble that you can see and that you can read about in the story. And the Bible is full of stories like that. The Gospel of John is particularly rich in quite complex encounters that Jesus had. We read about the wedding in Cana 
how Jesus engaged with the embarrassing problems or the embarrassing twin problems of bad planning and thirsty guests. Also in John's Gospel we read about a midnight encounter between Jesus and a powerful leader who needs to be told that he has to start again. We read about how Jesus asked a woman for a cup of water and how that conversation led to many people believing that he was the Messiah. And the story that I want us to look at this morning is the story about a man born blind who in the space of a day starts as a blind beggar becomes a healed man, an accused man, an excommunicated man, and a man sought out and found by the Messiah. John chapter 9. As he, that is Jesus, went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened that the word of God might be displayed in his life. As long as it's day, we must do the work of him who sent me. Night is coming when no one can work. While I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said this, he spat on the ground, made some mud with his saliva, and put it on the man's eyes. Go, he told him, wash in the pool of Siloam. This word means scent. So the man went and washed and came home seeing. It's fairly economical. Uh, storytelling there. We don't know a huge amount. We know we don't know the, the man's name. We don't know anything about him really. How old he was, where he lived. We don't need to. Those are, are facts that aren't important. What we do know is that he was blind from birth. What we do know is that he's destitute. So he begs. And again, as Jesus and his disciples approach, his disciples are interested in this man for, if you like, intellectual or theological reasons. So tell me, Jesus, this man who's blind, is he blind because of something that he did? Or is it something that his parents did? Whose sin has made this man blind? So the first assumption that they have there, they're making an assumption that this man is blind because of sin. For them, it's this man's past that's of interest. For them, this man is an object of debate. For Jesus... He was a man in whose unfortunate life 
the glory of God could be shown and whose life, whose unfortunate life, could be turned around. For the disciples, his blindness was a punishment for misdeed. For Jesus, his blindness was a tragedy, but an opportunity to demonstrate the power and compassion of his Father. So Jesus heals him, purely and simply. And it's interesting the way in which he heals him. When Jesus healed Bartimaeus uh, in, in Mark chapter 10, he spoke a command. And Bartimaeus was immediately healed. And Bartimaeus could see Jesus and, and there was an immediate um, recognition by Bartimaeus of who his healer was. But here Jesus puts a time delay into the healing process. He makes some mud, puts it on the man's eyes and tell him to, tells him to wash it off in the pool of Siloam. I wonder why he did that. Why not heal him immediately? Why send a blind man to find the pool to wash it off? I mean, you could see that might in some ways be seen as being a little bit cruel. Why, 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 if you could heal him, why not heal him straight away? Was it to demonstrate, was it so that the blind man could demonstrate his own faith in Jesus' words? Was Jesus conforming to some kind of cultural thing that, that people valued the healing properties of spit, which apparently they did? I haven't really got a good explanation. But what it did mean was that this blind man didn't see Jesus when he was healed. So when he's later asked about Jesus, he can't answer anything really other than to give the facts. All he knows is his name, not what he looks like or where he is. So Jesus heals the man, albeit at a little bit of a time delay and a bit of a once removed. Inevitably, the Pharisees get involved. And inevitably, they strain at a gnat and swallow a camel. A man has been healed of blindness on the Sabbath. On the day when no work is done and even spitting onto the ground and making mud to put on someone's eyes is considered to be work. They brought to the Pharisees the man who had been blind. Now the day which Jesus had made the mud and opened the man's eyes was a Sabbath, verse 15. Therefore the Pharisees also asked him how he had received his sight. He put mud on my eyes, the man replied, and I washed and I now see. Some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a sinner do such miraculous signs? So they were divided. Finally, 
they turned again to the blind man. What have you to say about him? It was your eyes he opened. Notice how it somehow becomes this man's problem that he's been healed. It's there's a slight accusation. You know, well, you know, you allowed him to heal you. And the man replies, he's a prophet. But they didn't believe that he'd been blind from birth and had received his sight. So they sent for the man's parents. So the first thing they do is they try to check their facts. And I I don't think that's unreasonable, actually. I don't think it's unreasonable that, that they're told that this man has been born blind and has been, has received his sight. So they check. Is this the man? Does it just look like him? Is it someone that's, that's similar? Are they trying to have a laugh and, 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 and make us believe something that's not true? So they check their facts. There's nothing wrong with trying to establish facts and not necessarily taking them as read. But the problem comes when those facts are established and they're still ignored. And that's, of course, absolutely what they do. They call the man's parents to check that the man blind from birth is actually the man who was blind from birth. And they hope to get more information about what's going on. But the parents frustrate the Pharisees by sticking to the facts. Is this the one you say was born blind? How is it that now he can see? We know he's our son, the parents answered, and we know he was born blind. But how he can see now, or who opened his eyes, we don't know. Ask him, he's of age, he will speak for himself. Just the facts. Yes, he was born blind. Yes, he can see now. I don't know how he's healed. But the subtext is, but we're really glad he is healed. So they turn back to the man, born blind. And they ask him. Give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. Nothing like, sort of, um, uh, asking a leading question, really. Okay, the answer is this. He's a sinner. Now, give us the facts we need to, uh, to convict him. But he doesn't know anything about Jesus. Bartimaeus, we, we read about knowing something about Jesus. Uh, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. He knew something about Jesus, but we don't get the impression that this man born blind knew anything about him at all. We don't see him calling out to Jesus. We don't see him asking to be healed. We see him being talked about and being healed. So this man has no axe to grind. He's not a follower of Jesus. He's just someone who has encountered him. Again, he knows nothing about Jesus except that he was blind and now he sees. 
He knows that a miracle has occurred and he knows that God would only work through a godly man. He's got these facts that he's working with and he's making the link. He's looking for that invisible planet, if you like, that's causing all these things to occur. A missing factor that he can't actually see or have evidence explicitly for. But the facts speak for themselves. The facts are so clear that they throw him out of the synagogue. They replied, you were steeped in sin at birth. How dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. So again, their worldview is based on rule and tradition and prejudice. Look at that prejudice. Going right back to the beginning of the chapter, who sinned, this man or his parents? They said, you were steeped in sin at birth. Get out. the man is rejected by his community. It says earlier on that his parents didn't want to say too much because they were afraid. I wonder whether his parents rejected him. I wonder whether his friends rejected him because he'd been thrown out of the synagogue. But someone doesn't reject him. Look at verse 35. Jesus heard that they had thrown him out. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? There are some wonderful few words in scripture aren't there a wonderful just a few little uh, you know, a little phrase that tell us so much when we read about Jesus turning up at the funeral of Lazarus that short verse the shortest verse that Jesus wept tells us so much about the man and the occasion, and his respect and love for his friend Lazarus and his family. We don't need lots of words. We don't need a huge description of what his tears look like. Just those two words, Jesus wept, tell us all we need. And these words here, and when he found him, That covers up such a lot, doesn't it? When he found him, he was looking for him. Jesus went off, had heard that this man had been thrown out, and he went off and looked for him. And when he found him, he said, do you believe in the Son of Man? You can just imagine this blind, or this formerly blind man, sitting somewhere on his own saying, look, I don't know who this son of man is. Because of course this guy who'd come up to 
speak to him and ask him this very strange question. Who was he? He didn't know who he was. He'd never seen him before. Who is he, sir? The man asked. Tell me so that I may believe in him. Jesus said, you have now seen him. In fact, he is the one speaking with you. And it all clicks. And the man said, Lord, I believe. And he worshipped him. For him, the story now made sense. For him, the story had an ending, or a beginning, or both. He was rejected by his community. He, but he was sought and found by Jesus. O love, that will not let me go. I rest my weary soul in thee. I give thee back the life I owe, that in thine ocean depths its flow may richer, fuller be. O love, O joy, that seeks for me through pain, I cannot close my heart to thee. I trace the rainbow through the rain and feel that promise is not vain, that morn shall tearless be. Lord God, we, we come to you and thank you for this time together this morning. And as we sing of that love, we think about it now as we prepare to go on our way. We've thought a lot, Lord, about being one and yet many. And although Jesus is one, he is many to each one of us. If we need him this week to come and drink tea with us with crooked little finger, he will. If we need him, Lord, to come and fill the emptiness and the loneliness, he will. And if we need him to Help us to hold on to things when perhaps they're slipping from our grasp. We know that he will. And we know that his grace and love extends to each one of us. And thank you, Lord, for that. Thank you for helping us see, even though it might be dimly. But Lord, as we go on our way, we pray too that Having you by our side helps us to want to make others see. Help us to live as if we can see. And help us, Lord, to help others to see so that when Jesus does return, he will come to people who are looking for him and wanting him to be in this earth when it will be as it truly was meant to be. So thank you for all these gifts, Father, and this time together now. Amen.